Episode 22 of The Transport Stay Inside and Kill All the Slugs. The Transport by Alex Ames. You are listening to The Transport, a sci fi military action thriller audiobook podcast written and performed by Alex Ames. The music throughout the podcast is the song The Last True Boss by Kumiku, available on the freemusicarchive.org. Chapter 84 Herbert Herbert carefully made his way downstairs, Jay checking their ears. Herbert, the constant warrior, feared for the starship. Right now, only three guards remained on the roof and four guards covered the MMTU. And now, with trouble in the lab, their security was becoming stretched even more thinly. Let's assume it's more than one person, Herbert said when he peeked around the corner into the corridor leading towards the lab. Julie's body, six yards away from him, stared at nothing, her mouth open. At the far end, Tim, in a pool of blood, the corridor empty. What's the loading count? Jay asked. We're good, Herbert answered. We passed critical control count already a while ago, and the ship will soon be fully operational, but we will leave no one behind. He paused for a few seconds. If we can help it, any decision to abandon staff must come from the Supreme Commander anyway. What will you do? Jay checked his weapon once again, more out of nervousness than of necessity. He had been attacked almost lethally just a few minutes ago, and here he was, again in harm's way. They were so close to reconversion and boarding for themselves. No one wanted to be killed in a last-minute confrontation that turned out to be unnecessary. Those humans are so heavy on talk, so we try negotiating, Herbert said. By now, Linny and Colin had to be in position too. Herbert cleared his throat. <coughs> Hello? Anyone there? He called loudly. Silence was the answer. Perhaps the bitch is gone, Jay asked from behind. Hello, can you hear me? I want to negotiate, Herbert called. Again, no answer. So much for talking our way in. Herbert took another quick glance around the corner. Had the opponents left the premises already? A shot rang out, sprayed plaster from the wall about two inches from his face and Herbert pulled back quickly. Jesus, that lady can shoot. He dusted his hair off. A close call. Told ya, Jay smirked. She almost got me in the elevator. Herbert had no idea what came next. The lady clearly showed nerves of steel. No talking gave no angles for negotiation. Her good shooting blocked their position and their attack possibilities. A full frontal attack from two sides was possible, but with the lady's marksmanship at work, two or three of them would wind up dead, 
or severely injured, a high cost to get control over the remaining parts. Maybe their comrades had already been killed by Eva? Jay urged from behind. Herb, what do we do now? Herbert shrugged. He was about to say, let's pack up and fly home, leave the last pots here, let them die as heroes, and then activate one of the defense weapons on the ship to destroy anything in the vicinity, not to give the humans any sclone technology to investigate it. It would be over for their comrades. In a blink, no suffering. But Herbert's indecision was unnecessary after all. Bitch, are you there? Linny. You can shoot, but you can't run away from me, she screamed on top of lungs from the other side of the long corridor. Something light and metal slid noiselessly over the concrete basement floor. Herbert peeked around the corner, saw that the lady shooter was distracted. Look to your left, see that pin sliding towards you? You effing see it? I have a hot frag grenade in my hand and I am not afraid to die, came the shrill scream from the other side of the corridor, Linny's voice. You give just one more shot and I'll blow us all to pieces, minced meat, splatter, yummy, all of us dismembered, watch a video on YouTube. Linny's approach definitely brought the girl to talk. Do not engage in aggression, the gunwoman called calmly from the lab door. Herbert recognized Eva's voice. We might be prepared to, Eva started, negotiating for more time, no doubt, but not with Linny on the prowl. Don't talk shit, bitch, minced meat, if you don't give up, at once, Linny interrupted her, screaming, drop your weapon and raise your hands. Herbert looked around the corner again. He saw Eva as she kneeled down in front of the lab door, putting a Mac-10 on the floor. She still wore the black leather jacket and tight jeans, same as yesterday, her hair looking perfect. Further down, in the middle of the corridor, stood Linny, the grenade in a raised hand, red-faced, coming forward, bloody footprints trailing her, Tim McKenzie's blood. Herbert approached and fished the gun away from the killer lady with one outstretched leg. Are you alone? he asked. Eva, right? My name is Eva. Where's your sidekick? Leo is in the lab. Her eyes were like laser beams and she reminded Herbert of a tiger who was evaluating his daily choice between a meat ration and the zookeeper. But she had her arms raised and no visible weapon on her. Herbert made sure that Eva was covered by Jay and knocked at the closed lab door. Leo! It's me, Herb. Open up. It's over. We have your girlfriend. It took a long moment. Then Leo's voice came from behind the door. Pray to your alien ancestors, Herb. I have a gun and I'll use it. Eva, are you all right? I am all right, she confirmed. Stay inside and kill all the slugs. Herbert rolled his eyes and shot into the wall beside Eva's head. She did not blink an eye. Herbert called through the door again. Leo, that was two inches to spare. Such a beautiful face. Just think of what my hollow point ammunition might do to her. Immediately, the lab door clicked and Leo stood in the door, both hands raised, his pistol beside him on the floor. His eyes showed pure hatred. 
They walked Eva into the lab and put both of them against the wall. With Leo and Eva effectively covered, Herbert turned to Linny. Thanks, a good job. Secure that grenade and get upstairs again to secure the ramp. Something is cooking, I can feel it. It's no coincidence that these two clowns are here. Herb, I would like to try out the frag grenades on their bodies once. Can I use one of the other basement rooms? I'll take this bitch here. Just her, my frag grenade in an empty room. Linny pleaded while she picked up the safety pin from the floor. Ah, oh, just thinking of it makes me horny. Linny, get upstairs. Your host seems a little chemically unbalanced. You think so? Linny cocked her head. She gave Eva a sisterly smile. Too bad we won't meet again, honey. A great missed opportunity. Linny, get upstairs. Shoot some soldiers. Guard the ramp, Herbert shouted. Colin, you too. All right, all right, Linny muttered, her cheeks flaring. She made a face at Eva and demonstratively pushed the security pin back into the grenade in front of her face. You have all the fun, Herbert. That babe was to be mine. She made a playful face at Herbert, winked at Eva while she wiggled her grenade and ran towards the central staircase. Chapter 85 Whittaker The shooting activity on the other side of the building picked up, the sign for Whittaker and Grainer to start the insertion. Two shots rang out, aimed in their direction, one of the roof guards had spotted them. But they ran ten yards apart, shooting upwards as they ran to force the guard's head down, zigzagging across the back parking lot. A few minutes later, both green berets entered the building, climbed through the same office window near the elevator bank as Morales, Eva and Leo had done before. They immediately stepped inside the emergency staircase. Both men had worked in tandem on previous missions, so their moves were coordinated and smooth. Small hand signs indicated where to look and where to go next. Whittaker took the lead, peeked around the corner, and with two quick steps he was through the office corridor and the elevator bank towards the central staircase, unguarded. Whittaker slowly opened it and entered, Garner right behind him, eager to leave the exposed space of the ground floor. They were in. Up the first half of the staircase, aware of booby traps laid out potentially at every level, scrutinizing the floor at their feet and the walls. Suddenly, a sound from below. The two soldiers froze in sink. Whittaker checked upwards. Garner downwards. Nothing could be seen. The sound was gone, but both soldiers felt it. Someone else was in the stairwell. Garner pushed his head forward a few inches to check the stairs below. He glanced down through the middle section that separated the stairs. A chubby young lady in a floral dress with a bad hair day and a lot of weapons slung over her back stared back at him. And... She was smiling. Chapter 86 Linny Linny and Colin left the lab, not on the stairs opposite the freight elevator, but on the central staircase, as it brought them directly to the atrium.
She still fumed at Herbert because he wouldn't let her play with Eva and her grenades. That ass! She popped another piece of gum into her mouth. The second she stepped into the staircase, she heard shuffled steps on the staircase above her. She held out a hand up to stop Colin from entering, put her index finger over her mouth. Colin got it and held the door. She took no chances and silently pulled the safety pin out of the frag grenade again. There it was again, someone further up, sneaking upstairs to the first or second floor. To show her face could be a deadly decision, but couldn't be avoided in order to find out whether the intruder was friend or foe. She had to look. She leaned forward carefully looking upstairs, and stared into the painted face of a soldier in full gear glancing down on her, a second shadow further up the stairs. A white smile grew on Linny's face. She wasn't the most athletic Legion Analytics employee. Though petite, she was chubby and flashy and overweight, but her human host was good at softball. The best pitcher on her after-work team. Her human mind processed her position and her thumb released the spring trigger of the grenade, which snapped upwards, the clinging noise filling the silence of the stairwell, starting the deadly 2.5 second countdown. Fully on automatic, her arm started the motion of a spontaneous underhand throw, two seconds remaining, up through the gap between the flights, a gap only a foot wide, the soldiers maybe 15 yards away, 1.5 seconds. The soldier who stared down on her was fast, so effing fast, adjusting his gun quickly to point through the gap, aiming at her. Linny was committed in her throw, couldn't get away without compromising her throw, then her hand let go of the grenade, one second left on the timer. The last thing Linny saw before she jumped into the cover of the stairs was the face of the soldier as he realized what was happening. His gun sank down, replaced by the futile swatting of his hand to fend off the grenade or to protect his face, a shout of warning to his comrade. The same moment, the soldier managed to let go of a shot, a muffled bang and a searing hot pain on Linny's side. A fraction of a second earlier and it would have been a full hit on Linny's body. The grenade sailed up through the stair flight gap at the exact right speed, gravity slowing it down gently but arriving on the second floor landing at exactly the moment as its timer was up. Linny rolled herself into a small package holding her arms over her head. The boom of the grenade deafened her. It was like being in the middle of a thunderstorm crack. The pressure slammed throughout the staircase. The blast wave popped her ear and pressed her down for a second. War plastered dust and smoke everywhere. Then the echoes subsided inside the confinements of the stairwell and it was silence once more. Linny got up, shell-shocked, swallowed several times to get rid of the pressure on her ears without success, her head reeling, her side hurting. After rubbing dust out of her eyes, she glanced down at herself, saw a bloody streak below her right breast. She carefully lifted her blouse. A lot of raw meat greeted her. Oh, a cut, half an inch deep, caused by the passing bullet. A lot of blood. The sight of it made her dizzy. Already a shock reaction. Determined, she adjusted her dress, 
pressed some fabric into the cut to stop the bleeding. The burning sensation hit her so forcefully that she yelped like a kicked dog and fell on her behind again. She banged her head against the staircase wall several times and waited for the pain to subside. She got up again. Weapon all there. Her second grenade, too. Colin's face appeared in the doorway. Linny, are you all right? You're bleeding. Don't I know it, idiot. Give Herbert an update and then join me upstairs. We'll need to guard the ramp. Herbert was right. This is some sort of coordinated attack. Colin hurried away and the staircase door slammed shut again. Cloak's effing call, she cursed to herself and slowly made her way upstairs, her riot shotgun aimed up and forward, ready for any surprise. The soldiers were out of view, but when she passed the ground floor and looked up, she looked at the disastrous effect of the landing above her, the remains of one human barely recognizable. Curiosity got the better of her and she stepped up some more steps and noticed a second soldier, also severely mutilated and very, very dead. She looked up the staircase. These assholes had been on their way to breach the roof, to end the strategic advantage of the Sklone guard crew. Not on her watch. You are a hero, girl, Linny giggled. Minced meat, just like in the video. Her mood brightened. She popped a gum bubble and strode towards the lobby. Hi, Alex Ames here. Sorry for the little interruption. This story will continue momentarily. If you like a good thriller, check out my 2020 novel, COVID Trouble. COVID Trouble is a novel in my ongoing troubleshooter series, featuring the corporate troubleshooter Paul Trouble. COVID Trouble takes place in Paris, France after the first lockdown of 2020, just when life seems to normalize again during the worldwide life-threatening pandemic. And France is getting ready for some well-earned summer vacations. Someone is poisoning supermarkets with the virus. Is it a lunatic? Is it a terrorist act? Paul Trouble will find out. A lot of bullets will fly. There are car chases, gunfights, rooms full of dead people, deadly fire traps and many, many, many ways to die. COVID Trouble is available as ebook at most online retailers and as paperback at Amazon and some other e-tailers. Check it out, it's a ride. It's inspired by the current events of that crazy, crazy year 2020. COVID Trouble is the name, Alex Ames, the author. That being said, buy the book. And now, let's jump back into the transport. Chapter 87 Herbert Herbert turned to Eva and Leo. Linny had a good idea with her minced meat demonstration. Maybe I should call her back when we are done here. Both captive stayed silent. What did you do with our pots? No answers, no furtive revealing looks. Our pods are already disconnected from life support. For too long, Jay threw in. Either we need to reconnect them here or hurry up with the transport. Let's check a few pods randomly and carry on then, Herbert decided. 
They all entered the lab front room where the pushcart with the 12 life pods still waited for the least or last transfer into the ship. At first glance, nothing seemed out of order. The lab was orderly as before. Eva and Leo had to stand in the corner, covered by Jay, while Herbert inspected the life pods on the pushcart. Ah, we need to get them into the ship as soon as possible, Herbert threw their prisoners a curious glance. What did you do? Why did you capture the lab? Eva and Leo remained silent. There was a muted explosion from somewhere outside of the lab. Everyone except Eva flinched. This was becoming a war and it came closer. A position? Jay asked. The ship is ready with us or without us, Herbert said. He considered briefly to investigate, but this meant leaving Jay alone with the captives. Too risky. Colin ran by, stopped briefly in the doorway. Linny killed some intruders. I'm upstairs. Expecting visitors? Herbert asked, not really caring for an answer. The captives would lie anyway, and the parts were more important. He opened one of the containers and peered inside. From one of the lab tables, he retrieved a long spatula made of plastic and carefully fished inside the container. Four green stubby tentacles popped out of the milky fluid and wrapped around the spatula, probing, extending towards Herbert's fingers. His eyes turned to slits. Did you tamper with the pods? Leo and Eva stayed mum. Sorry, comrade, I need to check. Herbert pulled out the complete sclone body. The tentacles were strong and could hold on tightly to the spatula. The rest of the body wiggled in the air, milky fluid dripping to the ground. Herbert dipped his free hand into the fluid and felt his way around inside the pod. Clear, nothing. Herbert gave the two prisoners a quick glance, but their eyes betrayed nothing. Carefully, Herbert put the green, dripping slug back into the life pod and sealed the lid. He opened another random one, repeated the procedure, saw nothing out of the ordinary. Herbert looked at Eva, puzzled. I don't like it. You guys spent almost ten minutes alone with our comrades. They are alive and well. What's going on? Suck slime, body snatcher, Leo spat at him. Herbert's eyes filmed over. He took two quick steps towards Leo, raised his gun at his head. What did you do in here? He screamed at the top of his lungs. What? Eat dog shit, green slime-filled man. Leo screamed back and took a step forward, the barrel almost touching his forehead. Herbert remembered their first encounter down here in the lab and suddenly understood. Leo ran a distraction for Eva. Again. He didn't know what the end game was and didn't care. This distraction wouldn't work. Not this time. Time to pay Leo back for his aggression. Herbert moved his gun quickly, too quickly for Leo to raise his hand and grab Herbert's arm. He pointed at Eva's head, above her left ear, and shot her. She stumbled sideways against the wall, the hunting tigress look frozen on her face, sliding down onto the floor, red tissue sticking to the wall behind her. Eva! Leo cried and fell beside her, cradled her head, touched her cheeks. Eva! he whispered. Tears streaming down his face, dripping on her perfect skin and hair. Chapter 88 Cena Move, 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 you lazy brick! 
Sina urged the bus forward as it picked up speed in slow motion. They rushed onto the tarmac of the compound at 38 miles per hour, the speedometer needle crawling upwards. Brace yourself, guys. Incoming! Sina shouted and ducked as low as she dared, keeping the bus straight, glancing forward every few seconds. Make it a strike, Sarge! Charles screamed back. Spy with a fondness for bowling, Sina filed the useless fact away and gave a grim smile. Charles and Mac had five rows of seat between themselves and the incoming bullets, while the two green berets in the back emptied their magazines for cover fire towards the roof line. Fifty, forty, thirty yards, the ramp scaffolding with its high canopy screen came racing closer and closer. Bullets hit the bus from all sides, with every yard they came closer to the loading ramp. Sina gave a last quick glance to correct course if needed, and she could see a young chubby lady in a flowery dress beside the ramp canopy in the front of the atrium, executing a perfect baseball sidearm. Chapter 89 Leo Leo's mind was reeling. This can't be happening. This is not true. Eva! Dead! Whatever you call blowing out the brain of a cyborg. The emotions repeated over and over stuck like a broken record. Shit, I should have never agreed to this crazy plan. First her heroic Geronimo Kamikaze and now killed by this slime-ass Herbert. He stared back at Herbert, an icy block where his stomach used to be. His heart so heavy, he felt dropping a few inches from the weight, pressing on his lungs. Herbert just stared down at Leo. Fuck you, Leo. Jay pointed at Leo. Don't kill him yet, we are too short now, and I need his help to move the last batch onto the cart when I am back. Herbert nodded. Jay disengaged the brake stop of the rubber wheels and pushed the cart out of the lab towards the elevator. The loading continued. It was silent for a while. The basement revealed nothing from the events up on the ground, and all they could hear was the remaining life support system for the last ten pods, still on the shelves. Leo crouched beside Eva, holding her hand, while Herbert sat down on the lab chair guarding Leo. Herbert, as long as I live, I will make it my mission to kill you, Leo said suddenly. I never thought I was the death wish kind of guy, but today has changed me. I am no longer Leo the data nerd. From the day on, I'm Leopold, the angel of death and revenge. You talk too much, Leo, Herbert said. He looked like the life-drawn person that he was, a sad slob, an overweight caretaker with a permanent bad hair day and stained shirts. A militia guy with a handgun and a machine pistol strapped around his back, replacement magazines strapped around his gut. I'm sure the military will drop a bomb on us any minute soon, incinerating everyone. Including you, I might add, Herbert said. I don't care. My love lies by my side, dead. A good time to go. Leopold and Julia, stuff of legends and poems. What do you slimy slugs know about love and poems? When your civilization still was in furs, humping like apes, we already had conquered space. After we had written poems of love and sunset, Herbert said, Humankind, Earth, you are nothing, 
by the speck of a subset of chemical elements in the armpit corner of the galaxy. Any tips for us how to conquer space, Leo said, might give us ideas how to attack the green slime on their home turf. We used to rule the galaxy, Herbert gave back, spittle flying from the corners of his mouth. You barely managed to send toys to Mars. Used to? Nice. A slug civilization on the decline. Let me guess. No one loves you, baby, huh? Longing for a friend? Herbert's face looked as if punched with every word and Leo saw that he had overdone it. They continued in silence until Herbert glanced at his watch. Jay, come on. You know that Eva and I came only down here as a distraction, Leo said. Our military allies will have found a way to disrupt your little party up there. Shut up, Leo, or swear I will enjoy loading the last pots myself while I step over your dead body. It took a long minute, but then the freight elevator door creaked in the distance. Herbert gave a small peek around the corner to verify. It was Jay, with the empty pushcart, agitated and angry, running down the corridor. Herbert, shit, they crashed the ramp with the old school bus. Our school bus, Jay panted. Part 4 The Object Chapter 90 Linny Linny arrived from the basement and made her way through the atrium towards the ramp. One more frigging load and they were done. Her ears were still ringing from the frag grenade explosion in the confined space of the stairwell, but she heard the shouts of her colleagues and various guns firing from the MMTU and the roof. Outside, fighting had started again. She started to run, only to be reminded of the pain in her side. She reached the loading ramp into the defense nest just in time to see the old school bus speeding straight at them on a collision course. The ramp had been a weak point before and, with Linny and Colin distracted with the lab situation, had become utterly vulnerable. Too many fires, not enough fighters. It was too late to launch a rocket from her arsenal, so Linny did the next best thing. She pulled the pin from her second grenade, judged the distance with all of her softball experience, and this time threw it in a flat arc. She jumped back into the safety of the atrium, no time to watch the result. While still ducking down, she thought about Eva's soft young body in the basement and the bloody pieces of soldier flesh from the staircase. She held her ears shut and giggled. Maybe she would get lucky again. Chapter 91 Sina Grenade! Sina shouted, having caught a glimpse of a round green M33 on its way towards the bus in a flat arc. Charles stopped firing and hid as well as he could between the seats and the tabletops, Mac doing the same on his side of the aisle. The metal ball bounced once onto the hood of the bus, sailed through the shot-away front window, over the driver section, further down the passenger aisle. The ramp rose right in front of them. Impact! 
Sina screamed while she slipped off the driver's seat and curled up in the foot space below. The bang of the grenade rang incredibly loud. The third and fourth seating rows of the bus were shredded to pieces. The roof pierced with the fragments, side windows crystallizing or blowing out. The wooden tabletops held back the deadly metal fragments, one ripping through the wood right beside Max's head. Their ears hurt like hell. A second later, all air was blown out of Cena as the bus slammed into the ramp scaffolding. Chapter 93 Cena. Their plan ended not miserably, but with unintended consequences. The bus first took down one of the glaring floodlights and slammed into the scaffolding of the clothing ramp. A crunch of metal on metal, tube beams and sheets of thick plank wood and carpet flying in all directions, ripping off a good part of the bus's hood and roofing. But the yellow bus monster did not stop as anticipated. It crashed into the parked cars, pushed them aside like toys, barely missing the next flood life and then rolling on. Sina experienced the impact as a series of brutal kicks against her body and legs. When the bus did not stop, she dared to look up again, her hands still pressing down the accelerator. Various scaffolding pieces from the ramp had made their way over the driver's seat. Another car came up on the parking lot, pushed away with a crunching blow. The motor sputtered and Sina felt the power go, the gas pedal without function. Get out of here! We're sitting ducks! Charles shouted as blood flowed from a longish cut on his left side of his face. As if to answer, the motor died, leaving the bus to roll on momentum only. We're toast! Sinat shouted back, her head just barely over the rim of the window, one hand at the wheel to avoid another collision. Shots hit the bus from left and right, the roof guards and the MMTU guards in action. The makeshift protection of the bus took a beating of bullets. Anyone else alive? Charles screamed, answered by Yep from Mac and two thumbs up from the last rows. The green berets were still okay too. Twenty yards past the MMTU's rear, the bus stopped for good. Cena pressed the starter button. Nothing happened. Bus is gone for good, she shouted to Charles who had crawled over to her while Mac and the Green Berets to return fire to keep the MMTU's rear guards head down. What the hell was that? Charles asked. Rocket launchers, now grenades? There was an M33 fragmentation grenade. Military issue, Sina explained. She stared at Charles' face in horror. Does it hurt? What do you mean? Charles asked and felt his face coming away with blood, noticing it for the first time. Did you just ask the desk jockey whether he's hurt? Gave her a lopsided grin, then winced in pain. Ouch, smiling hurts more than talking. Min, Sina uttered, we need to get out of here. We'll get off the bus and hole up on the other side, Charles shouted. Gives us better protection, we then take it from there. Under cover from the green berets, Mac climbed out of the bus first through the window holes with all the glass shot away. Then the soldiers disembarked too. Suddenly, among the steady shooting, one of the berets gave an ooh and fell out of his window. Stay behind the bus, 
Mac emptied his magazine in three burst shots towards the transport, while the remaining Green Beret dragged his injured comrade into safety. Mac threw the sport bag full of ammunition from the window and followed old style, letting gravity do the work. Shots came from three sides, the roof, the building's atrium and the MMTU's rear, pinning them down. Cena was the last remaining person in the bus. She saw the others leave and grabbed her own rifle, but found it stuck between the seating and the bent sidewall. She pulled twice, but no go. She had to leave without it, taking only a pistol to fight with. The front of the roof had been bent down by the collision, no window gap to climb out. Cena had to use the front door, facing the eager MMTU guard. Give me cover, she shouted over the cracks of the gunfire exchange. Charles relayed her request, counted down, and Mac, Charles and the remaining uninjured Green Beret started firing towards the various attackers' position. Cena had planned to run behind the bus too, to join the others. She jumped out of the front door. The momentum carried her forward, two steps more than intended into the direction of the MMTU's rear. She realized that only a few more steps were needed to get under its cover, quicker than turning and running back. She took her chance, crept her stride and aimed for the nearest MMTU module. The cover fire was extremely effective and she made it behind the large wheels without being shot, safely out of the line of fire, for now. One pistol, two spare magazines on her. Charles gave her a thumbs up from behind the bus and then he raised his index finger pointing upwards with a questioningly look. Cena understood, he wanted her to overwhelm the guard and potentially give an opening for a counterattack. As long as that enemy was up there, the rest of the team couldn't leave the bus's cover. Big question. Had the guard seen me slipping underneath the MMTU? If yes, I'll be in for a surprise. Otherwise, the guard will be. No way of telling. She knew the configuration inside out and walked in a low crouch slowly underneath the MMTUs towards the middle of the transport, aiming to get behind the guards on top. Creaking noises here and there told her that the super heavy load slowly was crushing the immobile MMTU units. The steel cradles had to be at the brink of failing with the automatic load leveling no longer properly controlled. Maybe that wasn't out. Cena thought, somehow dislocate the spaceship on its cradles. We have no explosives, but we could force the cradles to break if we overrode the remaining load balancer. The object would tip over and the loading hatch would be effectively blocked for good when the full ship's weight rolls onto it. Cena realized that her engineering brain overplayed her nervousness of her immediate task, getting rid of the guard. Otherwise Charles and the others would be stuck behind the bus forever. Concentrate, Sarge. First things first. How can I overwhelm the guard above me? She was no fighter, that much was clear to her. But she was here, and the rest of her team was not, so they relied on her. She verified her position, a good fifty feet away from the control and power units where she suspected the guard to be hiding. Carefully, she climbed up between the two wheels and stuck her head out for a quick glance. She saw no one but noticed a brief flash of movement behind the other side of the power generator. She counted the number of wheels between her and the ideal attack point and climbed down again. Some shots were exchanged. 
Charles and Mac distracted the guards. She oriented herself once more and climbed up to the heavy cables and hydraulic connectors that ran between the MMTUs. Popping her head up again, she saw that the coast was clear. She was about to climb on the platform of the generator when she recalled the bellow of a boot camp drill sergeant. Always check your six. She briefly turned her head, saw no one else, and continued to climb up onto the deck. The large power block that held the generators was an oversized reinforced steel box, bullet and bomb-proof, the size of a double-wide garage that housed two 12-cylinder diesel aggregates, connected to electrical generators and hydraulic pumps. She touched the wall, no vibrations, the generators were not running. Sina tiptoed to the corner and realized that she hadn't heard the guard returning fire anymore. Her internal alarm bell rang. She pulled back the moment she saw a handgun sneaking around the corner. Sina was too close to flee and too far to jump at the gun. She deliberated with herself for a crucial second, but then it was too late. The pistol pointed at her. Her heart stopped. The pistol was held by private first class Ivan Gorsuch, her old body, now an alien. This is it for this week's edition of The Transport, the sci-fi action thriller written and performed by Alex Ames. If you liked what you just heard, leave a comment in whatever platform you downloaded or listened to the podcast. If there are stars, star me, help me spread the good. And again, my shameless self-promoting plug, if you liked it so far and can't bear the suspense, buy the book. If you can bear the suspense, buy the book. And that's it, for real. Wherever you are, whoever you are, thank you, take care, I hear you next time. This is Alex Ames, this was The Transport, over and out. <laughs>